Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as a new teacher. Today, I'm talking to Vicky Kendall. Now, Vicky started teaching over 25 years ago. She thinks she's old. Blimey, she should be in my shoes. And she's done all sorts of things. She's worked in many different schools, from large towns to small village ones. She's been in ones with specialist units for speech and language. And she's even been a head teacher before tiring of the box ticking that this role requires and getting back to her true love, being in the classroom. Oh, I so understand that, Vicky, because I gave up head teaching as well, tired of box ticking. She's currently assistant head and senko in two Catholic schools, and she loves it. Vicky, welcome. Thank you, Jeremy. I have to say that I chuckled at the uh, for over twenty-five years. There are some days which I'm sure that you will appreciate, and every all your listeners out there will appreciate that it doesn't feel as long as that. And other days when it feels like you've been in the job a hundred years. <laughs> it's far too long and you need to move on to try and do something else. But then we all think, well, what else do we do? Because what else do we do when we love it? Because it's, so it's all about the passion for the job, isn't it? That's the point. Absolutely. When you, I, I was lucky enough to teach today. So I was doing a lecture today, the, fi- the final science lecture for the uh, Essex skit trainees. I taught a, a science lesson so that they could critique me rather oh, than yeah rather than them being critiqued endlessly because they're all sick and tired of that by now but uh, so I taught a lesson oh it was so much fun oh blimey the children were so great to work with they were so interested they were so passionate they got terribly excited and of course trainees often get a bit nervous don't they when children are really excited because you think am I going to get them back they do it's that whole behavior management worry isn't it that you know I feel like I'm losing control because they're getting overexcited but actually isn't that what it's about yeah it is isn't it make them excited through learning and you know we're having this whole debate at the moment aren't we about trying to make the curriculum as creative as possible Mm. for that reason that you just want to inspire children I think particularly after the two years that we've been through definitely um, you just want them to have fun and learn through exploration and having fun. So absolutely, I bet they loved you whipping them all up this afternoon. Well, no, they were fine because I, I calmed them down. I asked them to record their findings in four pictures with some with some notes, like, you know, chemical reactions and solid liquid gas and all that sort of thing. So uh, I didn't leave them going bonkers. I calmed them, as you do. We handed the paper out and I said, I'm just going to go and talk to the trainees now about the teaching. And uh, if you could just get them to record the work and then send it along to us, then uh, we'd love to have a look at your work, children. So make sure it's really good and make sure you've used all this vocabulary, et cetera, et cetera. So they were quite calm in the end. Honest. And you and you got some simple <laughs> questions from the trainees as well, I hope. As part oh, of they it. were brilliant. They were fantastic. They gave me a hard time. One of them said... Uh, well, I'd give you expected learning there, Jeremy, you know, because they have less than expected, expected and good. So she was harsh. She wouldn't give me good. Oh, I think I said, that was harsh for a Friday afternoon. Not half. So I said, what have I got to do to be good? And she just laughed. <laughs> Thanks, Ashley. Anyway, um, 
And then one of them said, one of this was quite interesting, actually. One of them said, but you didn't write up the learning objective at the start of the lesson. What was it? I said, well, you tell me. She said, but I've asked you. And I said, yes, but any teacher worth their salt knows that if a child asks you a question and you know if they think carefully they can answer it, you just bounce it straight back to them. You don't give them the answer. The time you give them answers is when they're stuck because they don't know something. You don't give them answers, do you, when they could think about it themselves and connect all those different ideas. We did a very interesting calculation because they said, I said, I I don't like writing learning objectives in books, much as schools do it endlessly. I said, because in infant classes, it can take five, six, seven minutes. I said, even in junior classes, you know, you're three, four, five minutes sometimes writing it down, putting the date, underlining, find me ruler, sharpen me pencil, la-di-da-di-da. And I said, if you added up all that time over a child's time in school, they will have spent 21 weeks writing down the learning objective. Half a year. And that's if they're efficient. Half a year. How can we? And and you know as well as I do, you're in year six, aren't you? And you think, and sats are coming, you think, if only I had another couple of weeks. If only they hadn't spent half a year writing down the learning objective, I wouldn't need another couple of weeks. Absolutely. And going back to what you said about being able to enable the children to ask questions and having the confidence as a teacher to go with whatever their answers are Mm. and shape it. Um, You know, I can remember being an NQT and writing endless lesson plans with lots and lots of details on and you feel like you've got to stick rigidly to those plans and you haven't got the confidence to just go with it you know with that experience you do but actually yeah there's the phrase isn't it Vicky with that experience because they said that to me today they said you seem to break some of the things we've been told are really important and I said well I don't break them but, but I've got lots of experience of what works really well, so I don't have to do all those things that currently you're working through because you need to embed them before you can then decide whether what you're doing is really valuable or not in terms of children's learning. And I said, sometimes you've got to go all through, haven't you, all those painful jumps where you think, do I really have to do this? Is this really helping the learning? But you have to go through it because if you don't, you haven't got that breadth of experience which you can then use to make those coherent decisions in the moment. Absolutely, and it's with that experience that I've reflected and think, actually, you know, I could write a learning objective at the beginning of the lesson, but if you've got the confidence to go with the children's responses, which surely is about assessment for learning anyway, then you could end up going down a route that doesn't match the learning objective anyway. Mm because you are doing what a good practitioner should do and expand those children's learning from whatever their responses may be. Absolutely. That's that's very challenging, isn't it? As a trainee, you can't do that because you just haven't got enough experience. But you just have to be patient, don't you? And as a as an ECT, you just have to be patient. I'm gonna I'm gonna build up my experiences. And once I've built them up, I can be much more fluent and fluid in my teaching because I know I can get the children to learn the things that they really have to learn in this lesson, but we're going to do it in a way that really matches their interests as much as we can. 
and uh, and that takes time doesn't it that's not it easy and i think it's the same with behavior management as well mm. you know i know that as an nqt that was one of the things that worried me particularly with children that are a bit more challenging or children mm. that sin and you don't feel like you know enough and you need to build up that knowledge but again with confidence and with experience you learn to what I call weave yeah and you do lovely word explain it to us um trying to manage children through using other strategies that may be a little bit out of the box and mm -hmm. um, even with the experience that I've got I still have to reflect on that strategy isn't particularly working. So mm. what else can I do? So you're constantly re-evaluating and thinking, well, how can I get around this by weaving? Is it about, I'm looking a lot into the language that I'm using at the moment, particularly with SEND children. Yeah. And I learned to break the habit of a lifetime. And you know me, Jeremy, I can talk the hind legs off a donkey. We'd never know, would but, we, from the first you know, few minutes of this podcast? No, absolutely. Um, but... You know, it's training yourself, am I using too much talk? And is it the right type of talk? Mm. Um, you know, and you, you end up reflecting on everything, really. But no, it, but you need to, don't you? And then, like you say, what happens is when you're experienced, almost always you pick the right thing first time, and if not, second time. And if you can't do it second time, this is a major issue that can't be easily resolved. And this is a child with such severe and complex problems, then those everyday classroom strategies won't work no, because it's absolutely. too complex. And I think I've sort of learned as a practitioner that with weaving, particularly around behaviour management of more complex children, it's so important to work with other professionals mm. and build up that network of expertise um, I've just learned throughout my career that relationships on all levels, whether they be with the children in your class, whether they be with families, um, whether they be with um, colleagues within the school or outside the school, are so important. Yeah. Because you never know when you're going to need to work together and draw on that person's expertise. And I think throughout my career, that's become more pertinent with the loss of specialist teachers mm -hmm. um, and advisors. I mean, you can't... Uh, do you remember in the in the old days, Jeremy, as the I... The old days. ...behaviour support. Yeah. You had a query and now they don't exist and you mm -hmm. have to go through your inclusion partner or someone else. So the fact that I feel like I've really valued relationships and worked on building up those network of professionals... I don't feel quite as isolated because no, you know, and you're not, are you? It's that old that old sort of business maxim: be nice to the people on the way up because you'll meet them again on the way down. And absolutely. it's not quite the same thing here, is it? But if I want parents to support me, then actually I've got to get them on board, haven't I? I remember years ago when when I'd just taken over the headship of a school that was in the bottom five percent in the country academically. And, uh, and it had some serious but not insurmountable problems. Expectations were just slow, too low. It was, it was terribly simple to see what was going on. Everyone just accepted the first thing children did. And, and therefore, you know, they never made the progress they could. They were never challenged enough. And I'd, I'd got a traveller boy and I excluded him. Uh, this was in the first two weeks. And mum came in and she said, you hate travellers, don't you? 
Oh, nice, Jeremy. We've all met one of those, haven't we? Yeah, and I said, well, no, I don't, actually, not at all. I said, uh, I don't hate anybody. Actually, that's not true. The current government I hate, but we'll leave that one aside. I said, I don't hate anyone. Yeah. Um, I don't hate anyone. I said, but what I hate is what your son did to another child. That's what I hate. I said, now, this is really easy. I said, we can work together. And we'll get on really well, because I get on really well with anyone. I said, we'll get on really well. Your son will never be excluded again, and he'll do really well at school. Or you can argue and shout at me and all that stuff, and uh, he will be excluded again because he won't change because you don't support what we're trying to do, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we'll fall out again. I said, so the choice is yours. Anyway, she stormed out and she said, you hate travellers. <laughs> I thought, well, that's gone well then. That, that was a... Did you feel like saying, have you listened to what? <laughs> yeah, I thought that's that's really smooth. Anyway, about two weeks later, she came back and she said, Mr. Crook, I've heard some good things about you. I've decided to give you a chance. And I said, that's brilliant. I'm so pleased. I said, let's get your son in then and we'll we'll lay the law down to him about what's okay in school and what's not. And I said, this will be a turning point for him. <laughs> and she said, right, yo, come on then. So I got him in. And we uh, we did exactly that and said, this has got to go. Guess what? Never excluded again. Age-related expectations at the end of year six. Perfect. Surprise, because just, you know, and, and I could have at that point said, oh, I'm not, not going to make any effort with her because she's too annoying and she don't care and she just wants to fight the school. And But keep reaching out, don't you? You know no, this is much better than I do. Keep reaching out. Keep reaching out, because you started teaching in Basildon, didn't you? I did all those many and, years ago. Yeah, yeah, and there's parents there, aren't there, with issues, with difficult, they have difficult lives. That, you know, they haven't got a lot, of, just like now, not a lot of available income, life's very difficult. Some of them are one-parent families, all that stuff. They need someone, don't they? No, absolutely. And, and I found with the Basildon children that I taught as well, um, because they really need you, uh, because their home lives, when I worked in Basildon at that time, weren't particularly stable, um, I found, and I didn't realise it until the children left me when I took year six or when I moved on to further my career, the loyalty that I had from those children, um, you know, I remember one of my girls who who would say to me, when I had her in year six, she was really protective. And if another child started, you know, doing something that they shouldn't have done out on the playground, she'd go, do you want me to get them for you, miss? Oh, nice. Think, That's you what know, you want, isn't it? A bit of peer pressure. A bit of, a bit of peer pressure. But it was that, you know, I really value you and that sense of them protecting you. Um, and it was a blessing and a curse, really, because they'd leave me in year six and I'd have them come back and they'd say to my head teacher. Miss Kendall in, any chance we can have a chat? And there were times when she'd say, oh, do you know what she is? Just pop round to the classroom and they'd come in and tell me all their woes yeah. and moans about secondary school. And then they'd go on their way. And there are other times when I wasn't about and they'd just come back. Um, but sort of speaking about my year sixes, I had one sort of amazing year six class when I was in Basildon and I'll always remember them. And I was talking about having fun and learning through laughter, really. Um, We laughed our way through the year. That is the only way that I can describe it. I had a 
really positive relationship with every single one in that class and with all of those families. And it got to the last day of term in the summer term and I had them all flop onto the floor and refuse to leave. I'd half oh, brilliant. Years because they didn't want to leave. And I got to the point where I thought, I can't cope with this. So I went out onto the playground and just awaited the parents in yeah. to say, can you come and peel your children off the floor and out of my classroom because they're refusing to leave. But often it's it's at those points that you really realise how well you've done and how much you mean to people. In the day-to-day teaching that we do, you don't always get that. You feel like you're constantly moaning at them and constantly mm. raising expectations. And But you've got to do that, haven't you? Because if you don't constantly <laughs> raise expectations, you get low outcomes. Absolutely. And one of the things they have to learn is, and I've said this many times before, and I know you have too, they have to care what you think about what they're doing. Absolutely. They have to, because if they don't care about it, then you're not going to make any difference to them at all. And the way you get them to care, of course, is by caring about them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, I've learned that it's really important to verbalize that and make that really explicit. You know, I understand why you said that, however, or, um, I get where you're coming from there, showing that empathy and, and really showing that you care about mm. their opinions, about how they've got to that particular conclusion and then bring them on from that. Um, and I've, I know as an NQT, I wasn't always comfortable with sharing my thoughts about things. You yeah. feel like you have to focus on the children and not model it from your own point of view but again with experience and confidence I've learned to say well do you know what I would do about that or I've had an experience along the lines of that and then go into it so that they get that model from you yeah you Uh, have to share a bit of yourself don't you you do you don't have Um, to share all yourself but you have to share a bit of yourself because then that then that shows we have a relationship it's not a friendship but it's friendliness. So I tell you things that have happened in my life that you can relate to in your life. And then that makes things easier for you when you have difficult those difficult times happening to you. Absolutely. I've even been a role model on the stage, Jeremy. Have you? Myself into year six productions. Oh, nice. When I worked in Basildon. Um, and it, what was it, your favourite role? Oh, um, I was part of, we wrote our own version of Mamma Mia because it was just as the first Mamma Mia was coming out and everyone that knows me knows I'm a crazy ABBA super fan. You've got to be though, haven't you? You know, when you look at bands in the last 50 years, you're going to say, aren't you, ABBA's right up there. They knew how to write songs that people loved. They did, absolutely. And because they knew it was the year that I was moving on, and moving back to Chelsea of my deputy headship, they purposely, they're two amazing learning mentors at the time that were absolutely brilliant with them, and they wrote the production, and as a surprise, wrote me in. Nice. And at the time, you were know... Were you Agnetha? You just think, well, of sorts, but I it, this <laughs> will make you laugh as well, but I had the, the job of singing Chikatita as a solo. Did you? And I had my year six boys trying to make me go wrong by singing Chicken Tita. Tell me what's wrong, Chicken Tita. Chicken Eater. What's wrong. Um, and I, I was really trying hard to concentrate on the stage as they're all whispering Chicken Tika rather than Chicken Tita. <laughs> 
No, um, oh, it was brilliant. Um, and, and the credibility that you get from the children by bringing yourself mm. to those, that level where you can. As you say, it's not that you're building yourself on the plateau as a friend. I can put myself in the position that you're in and I've got the empathy with you to be able to do that, which I think yeah. is really important. It is really important, isn't it? Because empathy is critical. You cannot be a good teacher. I don't care how much subject knowledge you've got. I don't care how great your pedagogy skills are. If you don't empathise with children and form a bond with them, that we're both working on this together, and I'm here to help you achieve as much as you can, and you appreciate the help you get, and and you're going to push yourself as as hard as I'm going to push you, you're not going to get the best out of those children, are you? I don't think so. It's it's all in the relationships. I think relationships are so key. And mm. they do take investment and they do take time. But boy, when you've got a good relationship with those children, what you can get out of them. Anything. Anything's yeah. possible. It was really interesting in this lesson I taught today because I asked a question and there was a lad who was looking a bit, you know, disengaged. So I asked him directly. I said, so what do you think then? And he shrugged his shoulders as in, I don't know, you know. And uh, so then I gave him a scaffold, which he could choose from. And he said, well, it could be that, I suppose. And then I said, yeah, it could be. Come up the front, can you? I said, come and help me. And so we launched a rocket together. And I said to, and I said to the, the trainees, I said, why do you think he wouldn't give me an answer? Because throughout the rest of the lesson, he was very, very knowledgeable. And when I went back in after the lecturer had finished to thank the class for allowing me to teach him and all that sort of thing and being so engaged. And he said, I've got something to say to you. He said, uh, solid plus liquid often has a chemical reaction. And he said, and sometimes it produces a gas. And he said, and today we use that gas with gas pressure to launch the rocket. Whoa. Well, you were like, wow, yeah. Yeah, and the first question I'd asked him, you know, was like, uh, is this a rocket whilst holding up a rocket? I mean, it was it was the simplest thing. And he shrugged his shoulders, didn't want to answer. Because then I said to the trainees, he didn't trust me, did he? Because that trust is so important, isn't it? If you don't have trust, you can't do anything. Now, it's sometimes tricky, isn't it, with parents because they take a bit more work than children. Children are with you six hours a day and you can develop that trust quite quickly. So you ever had any tricky parent stuff? Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think that's one of the things that when you're teacher training, you don't get enough input on. And it's almost mm. one of those things that you just have to learn on the job. Generally, I would say looking at looking at back at all those hundreds of years, Jeremy, that we were talking <laughs> about earlier, that I've been in the job. My relationships with parents generally have been positive and really supportive, but I've definitely had my moments. I remember one occasion in my NQT year where I was presented with my first class assembly. Oh, nice! And we love a, them, although there's a they're a bit daunting, aren't they? At first. They, they are at first, especially as you don't always realise how much work and practice will need to go into a 10 or 15 minute class assembly. And I know as an NQT, I really focused on what each child was doing and trying to get exciting, interactive little tasks in the assembly. So they were up and down and, you know, adding a bit of variety in. But what I didn't think about was the possible reactions of the audience 
right. beyond trying to make a class assembly entertaining and productive from the children's point of view and reflective of what we've been learning. And we've been doing some work around Jack and the Beanstalk and a planned some presentation in the class assembly about the story and um, we were coming up with some vocabulary to describe the characters and the key characters of Jack and the giant. And I produced, you know, like you get on the computer and you type up all the vocabulary the children are coming out with and you have a child that's dressed up as Jack and a child that's dressed up as the beanstalk. Children with the vocabulary happily coming up to the front to read the word out and stick it onto the right character, as you do. Yeah. Um, all then, sounds like good practice to me. Well, it was all great fun until afterwards I had the head teacher come and find me to say that a parent had spoke with her because her child, who was in the role of the giant, um, had had the word fat t- stuck to him because the children had perceived the giant as being fat. Um, and the parent was really wounded about this, oh, thinking no. that it might have affected the self-esteem of their child, having been presented with the word fat stuck to them. And it hadn't even entered my head. What the had, it, had it actually entered the child's head? I don't think it had, no. no. It had entered the parent's head, um, who was obviously offended by it, but not mm. the child's head and not my head. So I said to the head teacher, you know, look, in future I'll sort of think more about what the reactions might be mm. when I'm looking at presentations in front of parents or audiences. But at the time I hadn't thought beyond what the children were enjoying as part of their learning um, and about trying to make the assembly as differentiated and interactive as possible Um, and I think it's very much again as an NQT you don't always think beyond the reactions that you might get from the children no you don't I remember I remember years ago we wrote an experimental you know the the Christmas productions are quite a big thing in schools aren't they oh definitely they like the panto the parents they genuinely go for an entertaining night out well, we wrote with the children a creation story with some fairly challenging music for parents to listen to, but they, they, it was bits of music, you know. So one had an Indian-type theme, ding, 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 ding. And, and at the end, you know, the parents came up and said, well, that was a great disappointment, wasn't it? And we thought it was fab because we'd really explored some really important themes and ideas but because it wasn't, like you say, you know, it wasn't a Jack and the Beanstalk-like panto, they were so disappointed. And I said, yeah, but weren't the words great? Children wrote them. Yeah, but it wasn't a panto, was it? Wasn't the music interesting, which the children had contributed to? Yeah, but it wasn't a panto, was it? Wasn't, well, isn't that important, what we were talking about? Yeah, but it wasn't a panto, was it? So I get the idea that you don't want a Christmas production then unless it's a panto. That's it. You've got it, said this bloke. (laughs) (laughs) It's just managing other people's perceptions. But I think when you get to dizzy heights of leadership, you almost go the other way, don't you? And you're sitting in a staff meeting with staff and you're thinking about how each teacher might react Mm. to the decision that you've made um, because you're trying to prepare for what questions might be asked or how you might develop that further. So I think the more experience you get and the the higher that you get, 
that you almost end up overthinking everything. No, and you, you do. And, the other way. And I totally believe the most important thing is to believe that what you're doing is right, isn't it? And to be able, oh. you, you do have to be able to justify it, of course. But if you can justify it and you think it's best for the children, absolutely, then you have to do it. Whatever flack you get, I remember once, one of the schools I was head teacher in, I decided to mix the years because we had 76 in one year and 70, because for some reason the school had an intake number of 76. And we had 76 in another year, but we didn't have the money for three classes of 25 in one year and three classes for 25 in another year. So... So I thought, okay, we're going to have five classes of 30 then. It does mean one of those classes is going to have to be mixed. Oh, blimey, you'd think I'd abuse the children. That's you'd awesome. think I'd have robbed the parents. You'd think I'd have run over their favourite dog. The, the reactions I got for, for doing that, and, and I got this message from one of my friendly parents and she said, they've just had a meeting in the playground. I thought I'd better oh. come and tell you. I said, yeah, no, that's fine. Thanks very much. She said, they said, if they pressure you enough, you'll break. I said, oh, dear, they haven't quite got the hang of this, have they, at all? I was the same, that made you want to go the other way and think, Absolutely. no. Absolutely. I said, I said, because I said, I know you understand, but I've done this because it will benefit every child won't benefit the teachers, the teachers, because, you know, we're mixing years. And although actually that's overblown the problems of that, because you only ever, like you said earlier, you only ever take the children forward from where they are. So it actually doesn't matter where they are. And, and you know, we did deliberately put some of the higher performing lower year group with some of the children from the other year who, and they were performing higher than, you know, the year above. But, oh, the parents wouldn't have it. We want a, we want a parent meeting. I said, well, you've got one because you're here now. Absolutely. No, I want it with all the others. Because he wanted a meeting, of course, uh, with all the parents together so they could all shout at me and try and force me to do what oh, they wanted me to do. But uh, but in the end, I just said to him, look, you know, I don't mean this pompously, but I'm an expert. I know how this works. I know how children learn. And you're an expert parent for your child, but you're not an expert educator. And I am. So uh, I think that I can decide educationally what's best for your child, and this will work. And if it doesn't, you come and see me at any point in the year. You've got a great teacher teaching the class. Come and come and quiz me. Come and ask me. Come and challenge me. I'm quite happy for you to do that, but, but I think this will work. And, of course, what happened? It worked, and it worked very well, and children achieved very highly. Some of them still didn't like it, of course, because they hadn't got their own way. Good for you. You stood firm. Well, you have to, don't you? If you believe in it. Absolutely. And if you believe that what you're doing, whatever you're doing, whatever decision you are making is for the children and is the Mm. best thing for the children. I see it. And then it's easy to defend, isn't it? Easy. It's easy. Definitely, because isn't that what we all went in it for, Jeremy? 100%. About the children. Totally. So what's what's your greatest achievement then? What's the thing that uh, you think, oh, blimey, I'm so proud of that? Because you've got lots of things, of course, but is there one where you think that? You I know what? That one is really hard to define. Over the course of time, there's been a few wow achievements, but I think for me it's embedded in 
the difference I've made to all children, but the progress that I've made with children with additional needs mm. and support that I've given to their families and whether that be on a classroom level um I mean I, I remember as an NQT I had a child in with me who had Tourette's didn't know what Tourette's was no learn on the job don't you <laughs> that you must have been so difficult with certain things and you know the engagement that I had from that child by the end of the year as opposed to the beginning of the year um was amazing and it's only because I worked with the family I worked mm. with him I was open to suggestions around strategies um, was reflective and evaluative in, in what I did. And I'm, I'm one of those people that's never been afraid to say, do you know what, I need some support with this. Mm. I know that some people see that as a weakness. It's not, is it? Uh, it's what you I, said earlier about relationships with your colleagues and specialists and all that. You've got absolutely. to embrace it. And now on, a, on the level that I'm at at the moment in my current role, the difference I've made to two families by helping them to fight to get their children into specialist school. Mm. Um, there was one, one little lad that I had recently uh, where it had gone to appeal. Um, and they just kept saying, you know, there's no capacity or they can't meet his need. Mm. And the parent decided to appeal. And I said to the parent, oh, I can put you in touch with organisations that will support you with that. They're great. They're trained to do that. So do you know what she said? But I want you to do it. Oh, brilliant. Said, and I who said, can blame her? I said, that's amazing. I said, but I'm not trained for appeals. Mm. I don't care. She said, you know my son, you know me. We trust Absolutely. you. We want, we want you to do it. And then I was thinking, but it goes to appeal and I'm, I'm going to feel absolutely awful if that goes wrong and it doesn't go the way that the parent wants it to go and that child doesn't get that place. So I ended up doing what I normally do and speaking to the organisations that I would have put the parent in touch with and saying, mm -hmm. you know what, the parent is only trusting me to do this, so I've got some questions. Can we book in some time for you to coach me through even the appeal form? You know, Absolutely. About, you know, am I filling in the right section? And going back to what we said earlier, it's all about the language that you mm -hmm. use, writing reports. It's all about how you word things. Yeah. And, you know, sort of picking that language. And they were coaxing me through the right language to put in the right section. Um, by the end of that, I was sweating, but I thought, oh, I've done it. I've done the form. We've got the appeal logged. And then we had a phone call a week ago to say he'd got his space. And mum came on a Friday night when all the others had gone home to tell me, she cried. I had a few tears. That's so brilliant, and I'm tingling now because that's what it's about: it fighting is. for the children, get the best for the children that you can. Um, and, and, and how lovely! What a great tribute to you that uh, that she said, "No, you're the one." Absolutely. Because that, if ever you want to see trust, when people put their children in your hands, no, um, figuratively, yeah. if not literally, then then that's just brilliant, isn't it? And even today, I had a, a bit of a moment that ended up saying to me, saying to the head of school, you might need to sack me as your senko. <laughs> and she said, why? And I said, well, I've just been, I had two parents in for a child that's due to start in September, and he's coming in with an EHCP. And I had them in for an hour, and we were talking through and really getting a thorough picture of where their child is at. 
And dad looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, I'm really looking forward to my child starting with you. because I've heard from lots of professionals that um, you're really good and that, um, you know, you will support us with getting it right for our child. And that's Mm. all we do, we'll get it right for our child. And, And do you know you've got a really good reputation with speech and language and with the OTs and... Isn't that brilliant? But oh. that's that's because children at the heart of everything, every decision you make. Definitely. But it's moments like that that bring it home to you. Because mm. you just get on with it, don't you? And you get on and you do the job and you don't always think about that. And no, you don't. And, and, and it's easy to be sidetracked into some of the things that are just irritating or annoying or that you think are unfair or that... People who really contribute not much, not mentioning local authorities here, get in in the way (laughs) and don't actually add anything to the thing. Absolutely, and and don't give you the support that you need. No, and they think they're benefiting the children and they're actually putting a stick in the spokes. Absolutely. They're not oiling the wheels at all. No, definitely not. They're box tickers, aren't they? I can't stand these people detached from schools who aren't in there doing it. That one no. of the trainees said to me today, so lovely to see you teach a lesson and that and that you're willing to to back your beliefs in the way that science is to be should be taught and to show us so that we can critique it. I said, Well, you've got to believe. If you don't believe in what you're doing, don't do it, do something else. No, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, if you're about getting any credibility at all, you need to put yourself in the shoes of that particular role. Yeah, you do, don't, don't you? you? Oh, that's brilliant! What a that's a brilliant place for us to finish, Vicky. That that parent saying, "I've heard such great things," because I've heard such great things. I know anyway from my past what great things you do. But uh, but so one last thing for us to for you to share with us: the one thing you wish you knew when you were an NQT. Although of course now I love saying this slash ECT because <laughs> that's what they are now. Um, is there anything you can share with us that you think, oh, blimey, you've got to know this and you've got to remember it? Oh, definitely. And it's something that I still struggle with from time to time. I'm trying to train myself to get better at, and that's learning to say no at times. Mm. It's okay that you, as I call it, put your own oxygen mask on first and think, oh, great, great phrase. Can I talk to you about this right now? Mm, no I can't but I can say to you I haven't got that moment right now because we've all been there haven't we Mm. in the corridor when someone says have you got a moment Mm. and you're on your way to the loo and you're due back in class in five minutes and you find yourself saying yes what is it I can help you with whereas now I'm trying to show myself to say not at the moment but come and find me after school and we'll That's talk it. through what you need support with. So I think it's learning. There are some things you have to do, but it's learning to say no and think about yourself first. Because if you are not in the right place for yourself, then you won't be in the right place for the children. And they are the most important thing. Yeah. And often then you'll give advice and you haven't thought it through and you haven't got because you're rushing. So you say the first thing, don't you? And it's not very useful. And that's great advice that no, I can't do that right now. Remember that phrase, listeners, because that one is gold. Oh, Vicky, thanks so much. I knew it would be brilliant. And it were, and it, and it has been. I'd love talking to you about education. It's so interesting. 
sometimes all you can say is wow that was a quote that was a quote I remember from years ago and uh, and that's what I feel having talked to you and that's what teaching is like as well isn't it it is absolutely you have some absolutely golden moments that I can't imagine that people that do other jobs would have quite to the same level that's right and make sure folks you balance that with uh yeah the tough times it's a hard job it's hard work and it's tiring and it's stressful and there are times you think I'm useless I can't do it all those things but then balance it with those moments when you think oh that was a good moment oh I really enjoyed that didn't the parents love that weren't the children engaged in that because that's what you do you make magic and don't forget it because it you're making magic for the children and make sure you balance it with those those other times which aren't quite so good don't you think though jeremy that maybe the first few minutes of every staff meeting should be share a magic moment Mm. ideal perfect because uh you have to do it don't you my daughter just started a new job and she said dad i have a bit of imposter syndrome i say do you darling i had that till the last day i was a head teacher (laughs) my whole teaching career thinking I I probably could have done that better and and endlessly grinding myself down looking for the next bit of improvement Mm. and I said I still did that but after 20 years I also did what you've just said I used to say yeah but remember when so and so said you're the best thing that ever happened to their child remember when at parents evening when someone said you know my child better than I do no wonder they love being in your class remember those things don't you because you can chew yourself up thinking I can't do this I'm not good enough uh, when you are and good enough is good enough and sometimes you'll be brilliant but good enough is good enough oh that's been brilliant Vicky thank you so much no problem it's been a pleasure so thank you very much excellent so what now listeners what's the one small thing that you'll do tomorrow that will make a difference to your teaching and a difference to the success of your pupils. Remember, one small step at a time is the way to continual improvement. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll be updating you on what's to come on the podcast at Twitter at WhatNQT. Until then, I look forward to being with you next time for another thought-provoking educational chat. And crikey, Vicky, this has been one. But until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an MQT slash ECT.